Amen. Amen. And God does love you. And I love you too. Amen. I hope you love me. Thank you, Thank you for that overwhelming response. All of you folks who are streaming live, I know you love me. I'm excited today that we can start a new series of messages called Happy, Happy in Jesus, Eight Uncommon Characteristics of a Happy Life. We're going to begin this today and we're going to work through this. So let's introduce this by simply starting with our text that we'll be using throughout, which is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. So turn in your Bibles or your devices if you would like. Uh, at Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 today. Let me say this as we begin, that these verses that we commonly call the Beatitudes comprise the beginning of Jesus' most famous message he ever shares. His most famous teaching, which we refer to as what? The Sermon on the Mount. All right, so... Uh, we'll start here in verse 1 and see the context, and Jesus is going to sit down, and I want you to make sure you see who is his primary audience as he shares this Sermon on the Mount. You're going to find that it relates a lot to us and where we live. And so today we'll simply uh, introduce this, and hopefully we'll have time to at least introduce the very first uh, of these eight uncommon characteristics. So I'll begin reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Who came to him? His disciples. Now, I'm not saying there weren't outsiders that joined the thousands and the throngs, but primarily these were his followers that had joined him here for this message. So he gathers them all up on the hillside and he begins to instruct them and taking advantage of the, 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 the natural geographical uh, audio uh, support system and acoustics that he could find by being in that bowl, if you will. And I've been in a place there in Israel where most scholars believe likely the Sermon on the Mount probably took place. And it was just amazing to picture Jesus uh, standing or sitting there teaching thousands of people. So his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now this is what he says in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which encompasses actually a couple of chapters of Matthew's gospel. We're just going to look at these first 10 verses. Verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will show mercy. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus begins this great series of messages that comprise what we call the Sermon on the Mount, 
with this very interesting set of points, these eight characteristics. And you will notice that he begins by talking about what it means to be blessed. Who gets blessed? He begins this message with eight different ways to be blessed by God. These are eight keys to a blessed, happy life. And I'll explain a little bit more about what blessed means in a second. I want you to understand, though, that as even whatever part of uh, the first one that we're able to get in today, being poor in spirit, I want you to understand that he is, he is basically walking his disciples through the ladder, the steps of a ladder, the rungs of a ladder, which, which together show us the characteristics of living in the kingdom of God. He's speaking to his followers. And he's saying, listen, if you really want to be kingdom citizens, if you really want to live and act the way that I have for you, he's drawing this message in great contrast to where most of them are living. And he's challenging them. And even as we look at the first one, which is to be poor in spirit, if you will, it's the first rung of the ladder. Just think of a step ladder. Say before, you know, I can't just jump up to number seven. I've got to start at the first rung of the ladder. And each of these are very unique and very, uh, as you can see, very lyrical and structured in the way that he shared them. Blessed are these, for they will get this. Blessed is this condition, this will happen. Blessed is this correct uh, characteristic, and this is what you can expect as a promise for that. But notice overall, he basically says, if you do these things, you're going to receive what? A blessing. Blessed are. Now let's stop for a moment. Make sure we understand what in the world the word blessed here in the New Testament means. It comes from the original New Testament word makarios. And let me explain what that word means. It means not. So I think we maybe to be blessed gives us kind of the wrong connotation. Literally, this means to be so blessed with God's favor to be envied, to be fortunate, to be happy. It is, a, it is a word that involves a total sense of God's favor and being approved by God. Uh, typically, though, when we use the word happy or happiness, we conjure up, particularly in our Western minds, we conjure up some weird idea of, uh, of a a by chance experience of elation where all of a sudden momentarily we're fueled by some some incident or some circumstance. And that's not what Jesus is saying on. In fact, he's not talking about this subjective uh, kind of carnal, natural sense of happiness. It's not worldly happiness at all. And it has nothing to do with happy hour. Can I hear an amen? It has nothing to do at all with that. Instead, there's something unique here that he's trying to convey to us. He's, he is encouraging his followers. Listen, the life that I've got for you, the kingdom life, is going to involve you living a happy, blessed, fortunate so much so that others are going to watch you and be envious of something that you've got. How many of us are living like that? That other people actually want to stop us and say, what is it that's in your life? What is it about you that is so attractive to me? What is that? And he wants us to be able to know exactly, well, it's because I live for Jesus. 
I'm living for Jesus. And he tells us some characteristics of that. I love this. It's interesting. When I was studying the original word, makarios, uh, it was a word that was used to describe the island of Cyprus. I thought that was very interesting. Cyprus was actually referred to as the happy island. Sounds like a TV commercial, doesn't it? Go to Cyprus, the happy island. Come on a cruise with me. How many are ready for a cruise to Cyprus right now? Come on, tell me. You're ready right now. I am. Anyway, but what it really meant was that Cyprus was so blessed, so rich and fertile, and and, and the vineyards and the the agriculture and, and the richness and the fertility of the soil and the people that the island was considered to be so special that everybody would love to live in Cyprus. And that it was so rich and fertile and blessed that once you lived in Cyprus, you never had to go anywhere else. You had everything you ever wanted at Cyprus. Why? Because it was Macarius. I thought, isn't that interesting? That God wants our lives to be so rich, so fertile, so full, rooted and grounded in him. We don't need to dip our we don't need to dip our finger over here into this little pool. We don't need to go into some secular pursuit. We don't need to go into some worldly activity in order to be satisfied and to be full in our life. It's all wrapped up in the kingdom of God, and we are blessed if we can live as citizens of the kingdom and demonstrate these kinds of characteristics in our life. Makarios is to have an inward contentedness, to be content inwardly, unaffected by every surrounding circumstance. It means to be singularly favored and graciously approved by God. One author said, to be blessed as Makarios describes means to be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstances but instead a deep supernatural experience of being content based on the fact that your life is right with God. William Barclay, the great commentator, writes this human happiness. See, we're contrasting human happy with this Macario's happy. He said human happiness is something that is dependent upon chances and changes of life. Do you know that's what most people are living for? See, most people are trying, well, maybe I'll just somehow by chance run into something. It just happened good for me. Some people think, maybe I'm going to win the lotto. Yeah. Some by chance, somehow I'm just going to kind of walk into this blessed, happy life. Folks, how many of y'all know that's a lie? It doesn't happen that way. It won't happen that way. And that's worldly happiness. And Barclay goes on to say human happiness is something that's dependent on the chances and changes of life. Something which life may give. But it also may destroy. I know a lot of lives that are destroyed by this. It might actually destroy. This word, makarios, this Christian blessedness is completely untouchable and unassailable. Isn't that tremendous? So what we're saying here is that this, as Max Licato liked to call it, he actually refers to this as this is the ability for us to receive applause from heaven. To be blessed, as is described here in these first 10 verses of Matthew 5, means that God 
the angels, they're all applauding what's going on in your life. Boy, wouldn't that be sweet? Hmm? That we're living so vitally connected to the king of kings and in, under his rule and reign in the kingdom of God that we are, quote, blessed. Can everybody say the word blessed? Now let's remember who this is aimed at. This isn't aimed, uh, aimed, this message is not aimed at outsiders. This isn't a promise to people who are outside of the rule of Jesus. It's aimed at those who are decided to be followers of Christ. It has, this message has nothing to do with those who opt to live apart from faith in Christ. You cannot fill a man's empty soul with things, with stuff, with human accomplishments and achievements. So what do we need to do is we look at these eight different uncommon characteristics in order to get the applause of heaven. We ought to look at them and say, okay, how can I position my life to be on the receiving end of those blessings? Because if, if you look, there's the condition and the promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They'll inherit the earth. They'll be filled. They'll be shown mercy. On, I mean, those are pretty good results. Wouldn't you agree? But there are important characteristics that he is urging us as his followers to adopt if we're going to enjoy those blessings. So these beatitudes are the essential elements Christians are to have in order to possess a happy, understood how I explained happy, a happy Christian life. So the question is, I want to ask you today, do you really want God's approval? Do you really want God's greatest blessing? Understand what's involved in doing so. And so he provides for us eight conditions for that. Now, I'm just going to introduce you to these uh, attributes and, and, and one of them in particular. Uh, and we're not going to be able to finish it today, but I'll pick it up later. But I do want to at least introduce it to you. Uh, remember, these are attitudes that result in blessings and true happiness. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 gives us the first one. So I provided this in a different translation that I think will just, sometimes I think particular scriptures we're really familiar with, or that maybe like me, I memorized this when I was six years old, you know, and I'm kind of stuck in that old King James memorization pattern. So sometimes we need maybe a fresh translation to open it up for us a little bit. So I'm, I put one here on the screen for you, and I'm going to give it to you another one. In the New Living Translation, um, the scripture reads, God, uh, I'm sorry, that actually is the New Century Translation. Let me read to you out of New Living first, and then we'll go New Century. New Living Translation says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of God is theirs. And New Century Version says this, they are blessed who realize their spiritual poverty for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Amen. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are those who are what? Poor in spirit. They are blessed who realize their spiritual poverty because that is the entry point into everything that God has for us. If we don't figure out how to be poor in spirit, and some of you already have a, a misunderstanding what that means, 
But if we don't figure out what it means to be poor in spirit, number one, you'll never come to Christ completely. And secondly, you'll never enjoy the abundance of walking in the spirit and walking in the kingdom rule of Christ in your life. So this is a vital lesson that we learn. So at least today, describe what it means to be poor in spirit. And then next time I'll talk to you about how to develop a a poor in spirit attitude. All right. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it doesn't mean poverty the way we normally think of it. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean physical poverty. It has nothing to do with material poverty, financial poverty, economic poverty. When we typically use the word poverty, those are the things that come to our mind. There is a correlation, I'll explain it, but it's not natural, physical, material poverty. Instead, it's an attitude. It's a heart attitude. It is an attitude of total and utter bankruptcy within me. Realizing that God, I am bankrupt without you. Now, by the way, with you, this is a really strange phrase. Because with you, you're what? Blessed. You can find poverty in spirit, you'll get what? Macarius. Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied, the applause of heaven. But to get there, you have to what? Get poor. That's strange. What does it mean to be poor? It actually is interesting in the New Testament language. There are two different words for poor. One word describes someone who is poor, and they're very similar in the way that they're structured. One word being someone who is poor, meaning that they get by, they're able to make enough money, but they never, just always kind of at the very bottom a minimal life of being able to make it. They're able to make a little bit of money, but and they have a little bit, but they're always on the poor scale. That's one word. For example, you remember the, uh, um, the, the widow who gave a small amount of money in the offering, and God said she gave more than all those rich people. You remember that? The word, the Greek word used to describe her is that word for poor, meaning that she's she, she's on the low end of the economic scale. She's poor. But there's another word for poor in the Greek that means it's worse than that. It means to be so totally impoverished that you are forced to be a beggar. You have nothing, nothing to rely on at all. And you're forced to simply rely, beg for somebody to have mercy on you to give you something. So the only way you're going to have anything to eat this week is that somebody, you beg and somebody gives you something that you don't even deserve. That's the word used here for poor in spirit. It's a poverty that means to be a beggar. It, it, it's, it's to be so poor, you have no choice. You have absolutely no internal resources. To be poor in spirit is to recognize how spiritually destitute and utterly dependent we need to be upon God. You're not bringing to God say, you know, God, I'm, I'm coming to you. Now, I've got a lot of talent. Got a lot of stuff to offer you, God. Now, I know you're, you're going, you know, the church is going to be better off when I'm a part of it. Because, you know, I'm coming to you with some stuff here. No, no, it's the opposite of that. What it says is when we come to God and we really begin at the bottom rung of the kingdom ladder, we're saying, God, I'm utterly bankrupt. 
I don't have anything worthwhile to add. I'm coming to you. Why? Because the best word I like is I am so desperate that I have to be dependent. I'm so desperately poor that I have to be dependent on you. It means to understand we have no saving resources. I don't have an ace in the back pocket. We can only beg for mercy and grace because we're spiritually destitute. It means to consciously confess that without God, we are unworthy, don't deserve anything. We've missed the mark and fallen short of God's standards. Spiritual bankruptcy in every way. Here's the struggle today, and I close with this. This is the opposite attitude of the attitude and the mindset of most people that our culture today promotes. So what is the American model? More today, sadly, than I think than ever before. People today think of, they're, they're trained to be full of themselves. They don't recognize their destitution before God. Their ego is so proud that they can't humble themselves. They think that they're, look what I am. I can do it. Look at me. It's my rights. It's what I am. And, and there's no, it, it is the opposite from being poor in spirit. Uh, someone wrote this. They said, you know, someday if someone, um, a sculptor down the road decides to, Develop a sculpture of the 20th century man. So that's their goal. The artist is going to sculpt a 20th century man. They would probably sculpt him with his arms wrapped around himself in a loving embrace, looking and admiring himself in a mirror. (laughs) That's probably pretty accurate. But instead, we're told to be poor in spirit. Hopeless when it's regarding looking to God. Hopeless, helpless, hapless. The only way we can be filled is by God's love and grace. Psalm 146 verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. What does poor in spirit mean? It means to be so desperate that we have to be totally dependent. Next time, I'm going to teach you how to be poor in spirit. I'm going to give you four ways that you can develop that poor in spirit characteristic that will result in being blessed and happy. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forth, be positioned here at the front. There are those of you this morning that maybe God is dealing with. You see, this is the, the, these promises and what I'm teaching right now is aimed at people who have decided to live for God. It's not aimed at people who are outside of the kingdom of God. So if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I kind of like to get in on some of that happy stuff. You need to make a decision for Christ. There's some of you that are Christians, but you're not living with a sense of dependence upon God. Maybe you need to respond this morning to this time of prayer. 
So if you have any need for prayer, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then I'm going to bless you as you leave this morning. I encourage you to come and let one of these prayer teams pray with you, regardless of what it is. Holy Spirit was giving a lot of, a lot of insights and touching some hearts earlier. The important thing is that you seal that and properly pray through that. You may want to come and let one of these teams pray with you through whatever the Holy Spirit was speaking to your mind and heart today. But would you bow your heads and pray with me right now? Father, we recognize as believers, we are truly blessed. But Lord, the condition of it is that we don't think it's about us. That we recognize it's total dependence. And Lord, I pray that somehow over the next week or two, that we develop a holy desperation. We'd be more desperate for you than ever before. Father, teach us. Teach us the ways of the kingdom of God. I pray for those right now who are struggling between the decision of whether to totally yield their life to you or do their own thing. I pray that they would make a decision for Jesus today and that they would respond accordingly. Father, I pray with those who are being tempted in different ways that you'd strengthen them. Lord, today I bless this congregation with strength and courage. I bless them today with joy, peace, and love, and all of the fruit of the Spirit. I bless them today with, with opportunities and intersections this week where they can let their light shine. I bless their finances. I bless their families. I bless their marriages. I bless them as the head and not the tail. I bless them coming in and going out. And I thank you, Lord, that all those blessings are ours through Christ Jesus. And we offer you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you receive that declaration of blessing, we just raise your hand and say, Lord, I received that. That's mine. I'm going to walk in that this week. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you right now, and I'm going to allow those who need prayer to come forward to these prayer teams now.